see. But I would submit that uh, fake news has been spread by humans as long as we've been living in groups. Very fake news. You are fake news. You know, fake news. Fake news, fake news, fake news. Fake news. Fake news in the media. Fake news. Fake news. Taps its richest senior. news part three the unhindered life the unhindered life so uh, we're in a series of messages on the book of Colossians the book of Colossians is not a book it's a letter it's a first century letter from the Apostle Paul to the first century church in a city called Colossae thus the name Colossians and in this letter Paul is writing to them telling them listen you've got to be on your guard against the philosophies and the ideas of the world around you and I just want to remind you of the theme verse from the book of Colossians if we can put Colossians 2 8 up on the screen guys and I just want to remind you of this verse here's the theme of the series the theme of this uh, book in the Bible see to it that no one takes you say that word captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ there's a lot of philosophies out there there's a lot of philosophies in our world there's a lot of ideas and ideas have consequences some ideas have great consequences some ideas have good consequences some ideas have terrible consequences and Paul is saying to the Colossians I don't want you to be deceived and I want you to be on your guard and I want you to have a discerning attitude about what you hear because there's a lot of voices in our world. And so today we deal with fake news. Fake news, fake news, fake news. You heard it in the bumper. Fake news is everywhere and we have to be on our guard as Christians against not necessarily political fake news, although there is uh, a necessity for being on guard against that, but spiritual fake news. What are you listening to? What are you hearing that, that might not be the truth of Jesus, the truth that is grounded in the God who formed you? And is, in an, and, is, and is the idea of a man who does not love you or a woman who does not care about you. See to it, no one takes you captive. Okay. I want to talk to you today about the unhindered life. The unhindered life. And there is a theme, there is a philosophy today that I kind of want to touch on throughout this message. And it's the philosophy today that is sweeping the nation through pop culture and media. My wife and I, we love this television show called America's Got Talent. Anybody with me on that? I love that show. That show's fantastic. By the way, vote for Michael Ketterer. Vote, that dude is awesome. He's a worship leader at a church in Southern California. He's foster kid, five kids, adopted them. Uh, an amazing story. You can vote up to 10 times. How many wish we could do that in the general election? Come on, somebody. <laughs> 10 times, right? So vote for Michael Ketterer. But anyway, as much as I love that show, there is a theme of that show that it really grates on me because every, almost every contestant uh, says the same thing and they say I'm on this show to show everybody that no one can stop your dreams no one can stop your dream live your dreams your dream 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 I'm gonna be on the next season of America's Got Talent how many are with me on that 
Going to need a lot more than you people to vote for me, though. <laughs> Nobody can. Don't let anybody get in the way of you and who you want to be. And it just grates on me. It grates on me, especially since that every contestant on America's Got Talent, their dream is to win America's Got Talent. And the reality is every single one of them except one is not going to live out that dream. The point that I'm trying to make is your dreams may not come true. Your dreams may not actually happen. And I am not trying to be a killjoy today. I don't want to be negative. I don't want to be a sourpuss. I believe that God's people should have dreams and plans and vision. But here's what I am saying. Make sure that your dreams and your plans and your vision are in accordance with what God wants for you to do. Submit your dreams to God. The first dreamer in the Bible is a man named Joseph. And he has this dream about his brothers and si brothers all coming down and bowing to, before him as some kind of regent or king. And he's one of the youngest of the brothers of the 12 boys. Let me just give you some advice. If you're a family of 12 boys and you're one of the boys and you have dreams about all your brothers bowing before you, don't tell your brothers. That's not going to go well for you, okay? It didn't go well for Joseph. They cast him into a pit. They sold him into slavery. And so much for his dreams and 13 years of slavery and 13 years of prison uh, uh, happen and transpire in his life. And his dreams are, are basically crushed. But he lives before God with the belief that God's going to do something good despite of what people do against him. And eventually he does get to that point that he dreamed about, but it wasn't through the way in which he imagined it. And so my point today is, have dreams, believe in great things, have a plan and a vision for you. But listen, submit it to God. Submit your dream to God. So in your notes, write this down. What is an unhindered life? The answer is an unhindered life is a life that's surrendered to God's service. Somebody say surrender. See, we don't talk enough in the church about surrender. But the Christian movement is a call for people to come and surrender their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not just Savior, He's Lord. Lord means He's in charge. To surrender to God means. Father, have your way with my life. And so when you surrender to God, you might experience things that weren't in your dreams. You might experience some pain, some trials, some troubles, some situations that you didn't want to experience. But are you surrendered? Are you willing to say, God, I don't know what this is. Frankly, I don't like it. But I'm yours. I give myself to your plan. And if you need to bring me through this trial for your glory, then, Father, have your way with my life. And when you surrender your life to God's service, I'm going to tell you something. No one can stop what God is going to do with your life. No one. That's the, beauty of a un, that's the beauty of a surrendered life. It's unhindered because you submit it to the one who owns creation. And just like for Joseph, 
when he gets to the end of his life and he sees his brothers and they're all bowing before him and they come back to him and they say, you need to forgive us. We didn't mean to do that. We, we, were, we were wrong. Please forgive. He says, listen, guys, what you meant for evil in my life, God used for good. That's a surrendered life. That's an unhindered, unstoppable life. Have dreams, but surrender your dreams to God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. And then Paul says, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach the full, I'm sorry, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude, delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come before you through the Lord Jesus Christ, your son. We ask that we will have ears that are ready to hear what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us. Help us to know truth so that we might discern the lies. Help us to grow mature in Christ. And may the words that I say be your words. And may our hearts be receptive. And help us to see Jesus. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Have a seat. An unhindered life is a life surrendered to God. Have all the dreams that you want. You know, older people don't talk about having dreams. They talk about having plans. So dreams or plans, pick your, pick your poison there. I don't care. Here's the thing about plans, though. Plans can get interrupted. In the words of the great theologian and philosopher Mike Tyson, <laughs> everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Yeah, some of you heard that before. <laughs> Maybe, maybe you were punched this week. Maybe you were punched this past year. Maybe you're getting gut punched right now. And your life is not what you imagined it to be. And the dreams or the plans that you had don't seem to be coming to pass. And you wonder, is there a God? Am I loved? Does he even care? I mean, this is what happens. Life punches us in the mouth. We don't expect it. 
But it happens. You can't, you can't predict what's going to happen when you go home today. You can't predict tomorrow. You never know. And you could be brilliant, and you could be suave, and you could be clever, and you could be, uh, you could be uh, uh, socially uh, an, an expert in social affairs, and still life can punch you in the mouth and make you question your own existence. Here's the problem with plans and dreams, that we start to make idols and gods out of our plans and dreams, and when they don't come to pass, we start to blame the true God for not letting our false God come to pass. It's a dangerous place to be. Paul was a man of dreams. He was a man who dreamt of being a great Pharisee. You see, he was born a Jew. He was born in the tribe of Benjamin, one of the most prestigious tribes of all Israel. There was 12 tribes. Two of them were really special, Judah Benjamin. He was a Benjaminite. And he was excelling in his, school, in his schoolwork. He was dreaming of becoming a great Pharisee. Now, today, the word Pharisee has a bad connotation. The reason why it has a bad connotation is because Jesus most often rebuked the Pharisees. <laughs> but the Pharisees in Jesus' day were the elite social class of Israel. And so Paul wanted to be a great Pharisee. It'd be like aspiring in our day to be a great lawyer, a great doctor, a great neurosurgeon, something on that level. And so that's, that was Paul's dream. And he even says, and I was excelling. I was excelling beyond many of my contemporaries. I was the best in my class. I was flawless in my adherence to God's word and God's law. And then he says, and when I heard about this upstart religion called Christianity that talked about God becoming flesh, which is an anathema to Jews, I took the sword out and I started persecuting Christians and putting them to death. And with his religious zeal, he went off into the cities to arrest Christians because he dreamed of being a great religious man and Jesus interrupted that dream didn't he Jesus shows up and knocks him down and blinds his eyes and he has to walk be led by somebody else this great man of vision this great man of dreams has to be led blindly into the city and then Jesus shows up to another guy named Ananias and he says Ananias I want you to go and pray for my servant Paul I want you to lead him to me and I want you to tell him how much he's going to suffer for my sake. Ouch. That phrase tops the list of things I never want Jesus to say about me. <laughs> Amen, somebody. <laughs> like, I want Jesus, I want Tim to know how much he's going to enjoy the life I give him. Not how much he's going to suffer for my sake. But he goes in and he tells Paul, and as he prays for Paul, scales fall from his eyes. He gets his sight back. And this man who wanted to be a radical Pharisee Jewish leader turns into a radical follower of Jesus. And the same zeal that he had for Judaism, he now uses for Christianity. And he spreads the Christian gospel around the known world of the first century. And every single person sitting right here right now is here today because Paul the apostle got radically saved by Jesus who interrupted his dream. So then he had another dream, and his dream was to plant churches everywhere, and, he, and Jesus gave him a boatload of that dream, but eventually he got imprisoned for it, and he suffered, and he struggled, and he learned the secret of an unhindered life, a life surrendered to God's service, and he gives those secrets to us in Colossians chapter 1. 
and chapter 2. I want to give you the three secrets, okay? The three, the three aspects of an of a unhindered life. Number one, joy in suffering. Only in the New Testament can you find the words rejoice and suffering close together. Because <laughs> we don't typically rejoice in suffering. Nobody gets a cancer diagnosis and says, hallelujah. Nobody has their wife leave them and say, yay. We don't usually rejoice when garbage happens to us. And Paul says to the Colossians, I want you to know something. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. How do you, how do you have joy in the midst of suffering? Suffering stinks. And I want to let you know something. 21st century American Christian. We have no clue what it really means to suffer for Jesus. We have very comfortable lives. Even the worst life in this house today pales in comparison to what Paul suffered. I, wanna, I, I kinda wanna unpack what he suffered because he tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 what he suffered. I want you to listen to the list. Here's what he says. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. This is the flogging that Jesus received right before he was crucified. Paul got that flogging five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And that's not with the leaf. That's with the actual stones. For all the potheads in our house today. Three times, he says, I was shipwrecked. A night and a day adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people. Some of you came to Christ and your friends denied you and left you. Paul's been there. Danger from Gentiles, those are the people that he wanted to reach with the gospel. Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, couldn't go anywhere. Danger at sea, danger from false brothers, that one, I'll tell you. On top of everything else, you got to deal with people who are false Christians. Yeah. In toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, without food, cold, exposed to the elements, and apart from all the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That's suffering. And Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering. How? Well, under this point, I got three ingredients to find joy in suffering. Number one, three sources for Paul's joy in suffering was this. Paul was living for something bigger than himself. And when you decide to live your life for something bigger than you, I guarantee you, you'll see God use the bad stuff for good intentions. you got to live for someone other than yourself. I was saying this last night, I'll say it again today. If Paul was alive today, I don't know if he would be on Facebook. But if he was on Facebook, his Facebook feed would depress all of us. 
Because we'd be like, look at me, I'm on the beach. Look at me, selfie, selfie, look at my body. Look at my body, selfie, look at I'm having a great time on the beach, see the coast, look at me. Paul would be like, look at me, I'm in prison again. Look at me, change to the Roman soldier. Look at the stripes on my back, hashtag selfless. <laughs> right? I mean, that's what he would be doing. Look at how Paul unpacks how he has joy in the midst of suffering because he, he knows his suffering is for a purpose. He says in verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And then he also says for the sake of Christ's body, the church. To suffer for something bigger than yourself produces joy. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, How great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. And I just thought about this. Face to face. People who haven't seen Paul face to face. None of us have seen Paul face to face. Yet we're all here because of him. Isn't that cool? He suffered for you. If he didn't struggle to send the gospel around the Roman world in the first century, the gospel never would have taken root in the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire gives way over the generations to us till today. And we're all sitting here because of him. Because he suffered. And then in verse 5 of chapter 2 says, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith. Listen to me very carefully. There is suffering, and then there is suffering on purpose. Which one are you experiencing? They take a woman, and she's in a terrible car accident, and she breaks some ribs, and she has a concussion, and maybe a leg's broken, and she goes into the hospital, and she has to suffer. Suffer to get her life back on track. That's terrible suffering. Almost seemingly pointless suffering. You take the same woman, and you put a baby inside of her. And nine months later, those last few hours of that nine months, ladies, suffering. But it's a different kind, isn't it? Because she knows on the other side of that suffering is a baby, a beautiful face. And she's going to love it and she's going to enjoy it and it's going to be her child. There's a difference between suffering and suffering on purpose. And I'm asking you, suffer well. Suffer for the cause of Jesus to bring other people into the new birth experience so that they can be born again of the Holy Spirit and have a future in heaven. You know, there's many people that suffer for you to be here. It's not first century suffering a la Paul, but it is suffering in some respects. People get up at 5 a.m., as early as 5 a.m., to make sure that this place is ready for you. The people in the parking lot that help you find a spot. The people who greet you at the door. The people who make the coffees and get the cafe ready. The people doing the video right now. The people, you, couch potato, who didn't have the ability to come here today. <laughs> Someone is making that happen. Click the give button, for heaven's sakes. Okay. <laughs> Someone is suffering with your children right now. 
Someone suffering doing financial peace upstairs. Suffering doing our growth track classes. Some people suffer to make sure that the baptism pool is ready for these baptism testimonies. And listen, when we see those baptisms happen, we all clap. We all clap. We all rejoice. That's joy. And we suffer well so that other people can experience the joy of Jesus. There's amazing giving in this church. People who give lots of money to make this happen. No, we do not have a Holy Ghost benefactor somewhere. It's you. The givers, the tithers. Some people say, oh, the church just wants my money. The church just wants my money. And then you go to the Patriots game and you pay $50 for parking. And you pay $150 for a ticket. And you pay $18 for a beer. And you say, oh, Bob Kraft is so wonderful. <laughs> Perspective, my friend. Perspective. Wake up. Wake up to the reality. Everybody wants your money. It isn't even your money in the first place. It's God's money. Use God's money for God's purposes. He'll give you more money. I guarantee. Suffering on purpose. The second source of Paul's joy and suffering is that Paul knows that he doesn't deserve what he's been given. Anytime you read the apostle Paul talking about his life, he says, I don't, I don't deserve this. I wanted to kill Christians. I did try to kill Christians. I imprisoned them. I wanted them dead. I don't deserve this. And he says, he says, this is a stewardship that it was given to me by God in verse 25. A stewardship is, is something that God gives you to steward. That means to care for until he comes again. He says, I didn't earn it. It was given to me. And then the riches of God's glorious inheritance was God's choosing, he says, to give to the Gentiles. I'm going to tell you something. Our, our country is struggling like never before with depression. Suicide rates are going through the roof. Young people, old people, professional people, regular worker people. Educated people, spiritual people, unspiritual people, suicides. You know why? We've got an entitlement mentality. Oh, this isn't popular to hear, but it's true. And you watch. You're going to hear these two phrases have got to come together in our culture. Entitlement, depression. A recent study was done by the APA, the American Psychological Association, and they're finally putting the pieces together here. High levels of entitlement lead to high levels of disappointment, which leads to high levels of depression. You actually think that you deserve better. I deserve. Who told you that? <laughs> Based on what? Tell me. I want to know. Because the same scientist who says God doesn't exist also now come about with politicians who say that you deserve this. Based on what? If all you are is highly evolved genetic mutations of slime, what do you deserve? And this is the problem with the political, the political realm of our country, because there's always one politician who's promising to give you the world, and another politician who says, no, you should earn it. And somehow we get so frustrated because those politicians can't make up their mind. They just argue back and forth about what you deserve. And if you're not careful, you'll buy into this entitlement mentality and not get what you think you deserve and be depressed when you don't get it. 
Oh, I'm preaching now. That's why you're so quiet. <laughs> Be careful, parents, what you give your children. Be careful how much money you just throw at them. How much freedom you allow them to have. Be careful buying that 16 and a half year old a car. You're feeding into an entitlement mentality. The article that I read, it said it is a toxic character trait. Toxic. Because when you feel entitled, you don't work hard. When you don't work hard, you don't enjoy the fruits of your labor. When you don't enjoy the fruits of the labor that you should have, you don't have anything to rejoice over. The scripture says that this is the, this is the, this is the matter of man, that a man should work hard and then look back and rejoice over the fruits of his labor. That's from God. Work is from God. In the first page of the Bible, God went to work. Jesus showed up, and he didn't come and philosophize for 30 years. He worked as a carpenter with his father. He put his hands to work so that you can have joy in earning something in this world. Maybe joining the creator in his creative process of bringing something to fruition and rejoicing over that. Anyway, I'm way off topic. I got to get back here. <laughs> Entitlement. The envy monster. I want to give you an envy killing line from John the Baptist. John the Baptist kills envy with one phrase. Because John the Baptist, you have to understand, had the most popular church in the world at one time. Scripture briefly summarizes his ministry. Because it's mostly about Jesus. But John comes right before Jesus, right? John the Baptist. The Bible says about John the Baptist's ministry that he had a church in the wilderness and the whole of Jerusalem went out to see him. <laughs> Starts a church in the desert. By the way, he wore camel's hair and ate locusts and wild honey. And everybody in the city comes out to listen to him speak. That's a powerful ministry. Jesus comes along. He baptizes Jesus. He sees the dove descend. He hears the voice from heaven. He sees the Holy Spirit come and rest on Jesus. And he says, I want you to go follow this guy. And they do. A little while later, when Jesus' church is starting to grow, one of John's former or maybe current members of his church comes to him in John 3.26. And he says, hey, uh, Rabbi, you know, he who was with you across the Jordan, remember the one that you talked about? Look, he's baptizing, and everybody's going to his church. What you going to do, John? What you going to do here? You baptized him. You're the one that told people about him. You're, he's so popular because of you. And now everybody that you let is going to him. And you know what? Envy killing line that John says. I love this phrase. In the very next verse, John says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Oh, I love that line. I can only get what God is willing to give. And everything that I have is what he was willing to give in the first place. I'm surrendered. The third source of Paul's joy. Paul knows his main purpose is to proclaim Christ. This is how you suffer well. When you let your suffering speak to the glorious nature of Christ in you. So that when you do get the, can or not when, I don't want to say when. If you do get that cancer diagnosis, you don't fall to pieces. 
You, 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 don't, you don't flip out on everybody and start thinking, I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. No, you stand strong. Can you say, I don't know how God is going to use this, but I give it to him. What the devil meant for evil, I'm believing God is going to use for good. That's surrender. Maybe there's somebody here, you're only in church because of the divorce. You're only in church because of the bankruptcy. You're only in church because of the job loss. You're only in church today because something terrible happened to you a couple of weeks ago. Thank God you're here. God can take that evil to bring it to himself. And then you proclaim Christ, and then God gives you a testimony from the test. He gives you a message from the mess so that you can tell other people, here's what God did in the midst of my pain. And he can do the same for you. Paul says, him we proclaim. My, my life is not about everybody looking at me. My life is everybody look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And then he says, I warn and I teach. You know, you can only warn people when you don't need their approval. <laughs> you can only really warn people when you don't give a rip what they think about you. And the only way to get to the point where you don't care about what people think about you is to make sure that your life is not about you, but about Jesus. <laughs> if they reject you, Jesus said, don't worry about it. It means they reject me first. The author of life. Christians get so upended when people don't like them. Have you remembered what Jesus, remember what Jesus said? You're not supposed to be liked. You're not supposed to be liked. The world out there has a message for people. They're indoctrinating the message. Christians are this, Christians are that, Christians are this, Christians are that. And the church flips out. How could they say that to us? They crucified our Savior. And all he did was raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out demons. And they crucified him. We are not of this world. We're not supposed to be liked by this world. We have approval before the Father in heaven. And that's all that really matters. That's all that really matters. And I'm telling you something. That is a freeing existence, my friend. So, joy and suffering. Main point number two. An unhindered life contains... Divine power in struggling. Joy and suffering. Divine power in struggling. Paul says, for this I toil. For this I struggle. Underline the word this in your notes there. This. Can I ask you, what is your this? You might not suffer, but you will struggle. Please make sure that you are struggling for things that matter. Are you with me? Life will offer you all kinds of struggles. Life will offer you all kinds of fights. You need to discern which are the fights worth fighting. Paul said, the one that's worth fighting for me is to tell the world about Jesus. Some of you, this is great marital advice. Three-word phrase, you might want to write it down. Great marital advice. Ready? Pick your battles. You need to ask yourself, husbands and wives, is this a hill I want to die on? 
Or should I just let her do her thing here? <laughs> Ladies, should I really bring this up right now? Oh, I want to. He definitely needs my advice. And I know he's just dying to hear it. <laughs> you need to pick your battles. Not every fight is worth fighting. Fight for things that matter. Paul says for this. What's your this? What's your this with your kids, with your relationships? I love what Paul says. I mean, sorry, not Paul, Peter. <laughs> Peter says this. Look, if you suffer in 1 Peter 4, if you suffer, it must not be for murder, <laughs> for stealing, for making trouble, and I love the last one, or for prying into other people's affairs. <laughs> I love Peter. Because <laughs> he was the master of prying into other people's affairs. But he's like, look, if you're going to suffer, don't suffer for, for stuff that's wrong. Here's, a, here's another phrase, another three-word phrase. It'll save your life. Mind your business. You don't need to be involved in everybody's affairs. You don't need to be like, oh, what are they doing? Eh, I can't believe them. Look at them. What are they doing? Oh, how, how dare they? How dare they? Mind your business. <laughs> like, like, I don't think there's many murderers here. And I don't think there's many thieves. But I bet you there's a lot of people who love to pry. Bugger off. It's not about you. So what about them? So what about what they said about you? Sticks and stones, man. Mind your business. Do what God has called you to do. Live for him. I had this in your notes. I want you to write down just to remind you. Don't struggle for being dumb. <laughs> don't struggle for being a dummy. <laughs> I'm talking about that young girl dating the guy who doesn't love Jesus. Are you crazy? Are you nuts? Oh, if I didn't see the carnage myself firsthand, I'd say, go ahead. I've seen it. And I know how the heart plays with you. I know it. This is why you don't have sex before marriage, because your hormones get released in your brain, and they start to attach you to someone you never should have had sex with in the first place. And you're dating the guy, and he's, he's good-looking, and he's talented, and he's successful, and he just seems so right, but he doesn't love Jesus. And you're going to go off, and you're going to marry him, and you're going to come back to us years later with two little kids wondering if God is real. Then you're going to really struggle. I'd rather you struggle as a single person than to struggle with that. I've seen it. I've seen it too many times. I get really fired up about this. Because it's in my family, and I've seen my friends do it, and I've seen ministers, pro promising, young, ministry-gifted people taken right out of their calling because of their attachment to someone who doesn't love Jesus. Don't struggle for being a dummy. <laughs> Number two, Paul struggled with the power that God gave him. The power that God gave to Paul 
he gave to Paul as Paul struggled to preach Jesus. I want to talk to you about power because the power of God comes to the people who are involved in the work of God. You want to experience the power. He doesn't empower you to ride your Harley Davidson. <laughs> Nothing wrong with riding a Harley Davidson. But the power of God comes upon people who get involved in the work of God. I want to receive God's power. Get involved in the work. He says, I toil with all the, I, I, I struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Jesus said, I'm going to send you out to the world to be my witnesses. And he said, but listen, wait until you've got power from on high. I'll never forget the first time I was asked to pray for people at the altar as a young teenager. I was 18 years old. I was, in a, I was in a choir that traveled over the northeast of the United States, and we traveled to all these churches, and we sang these songs. But our first concert, we sing all of our songs, and we're done with the concert, and everybody's clapping, yay. And then the choir director says, oh, and now we're going to close our service with prayer for anybody who needs it, and my choir is going to come down to the front, and they're going to be available to pray for anybody. And I was like, Really? I'm 18 years old. <laughs> Most of the people in the audience were older than me. You want me to pray for people like that? So he's like, yep, come on, come on, come on down. And so I go down to the front of the church, and I'm standing in the front, and I'm just thinking, what moron's going to come pick me? Because I have no clue what I'm doing up here. And I had deer in the headlights, deer in the headlights eyes. I'm like, I shouldn't be here. And all the people start flooding to the front, and I'm the only one with nobody. And suddenly I see this little dear old lady comes walking up to me because she had no other options. She comes up to me, she says, I need prayer. I'm like, so do I. No, I said, <laughs> I said, what do you want me to pray for you about? She says, I need healing. I said, okay, I'll pray. I put my hand on her, on her shoulders. And I tell you, suddenly I felt the wind of the Holy Spirit suddenly fill my body and come out of my mouth in words that I had never planned on saying and a prayer that I had never planned on praying. I'm quoting scripture in my prayer. I'm calling on God in my prayer. I'm saying, in the name of Jesus, suddenly this holy boldness comes upon me to pray for this woman. Oh, in the name of Jesus, Lord God, we know you are Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. I'm 18 years old, I'm coming out with Jehovah Rapha. How does that happen? The Holy Spirit comes upon people when they give themselves to the work of God. Oh, I could never start that small group. Start the small group and watch the power of God come upon you. I could never be involved in that ministry. Start the ministry and watch the power of God come upon you. God does not waste his power. He gives his power to the people who are attached to his purpose. Surrendered. Third big point of the weekend an unhindered life contains expectation in challenging circumstances. Expectation in challenging circumstances. Can we just talk about that word challenging? Because if you're not careful, you'll just skip over that word. <laughs> the circumstances that you don't expect, the, the circumstances that you don't want, the circumstances that you are not prepared for, those are the challenging ones. If you were prepared for it, if you were trained for it, if you were ready for it, it wouldn't be a challenge. It would be an exercise. What I'm trying to tell you is there are challenges ahead of your life that you're not ready for and you're not able to overcome yet 
But you got to have an expectancy that the God who called you is faithful to empower you in the midst of things you're not ready for. See, Paul says, I say this in order that nobody may delude you with plausible arguments. In other words, and this is the reason for the whole book of Colossians, I'm writing to you so that you don't get deceived. I'm writing to you so that you don't get deceived. But notice the apparent contradiction in the very next verse. <laughs> he says, for though I am absent in body, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of faith. Wait a second, Paul. Are you writing so that they're not deceived, or are you confident that they will not be deceived? Both. I work for God's purposes, and I'm expectant and hopeful and confident that he will bring it about to a great conclusion. I remember when we were looking for a, a building for our church, and we were five services at our old building around the corner here. Years we spent, raised money for years. And we went around all over town, all over this area, looking for land, buildings. We'd have conversations, we'd get close, and when the door would be slammed shut in our face. It was so heart disheartening after a while. And I, and I remember that we would have conversations about, um, we'd have conversations with bankers and construction people before we had a piece of property. And it just seemed so fruitless. Because we'd get close, slam shut. Close, slam shut. Close, slam. Properties bought literally a week before we heard about them. Perfect properties. You know, when you get doors slammed shut in your face for something that you're endeavoring to do, you can say, well, maybe I'm not on the right track. But when doors get slammed in front of your face for things that you're doing for God, you start to question yourself. And then I, I never forget that the day that we finally just called about this building. And one conversation led to another conversation, which led to another conversation, which led to in four, within four months we had a signed purchase and sale agreement at a beautiful price. And the door started to just fly open. <laughs> and I, I looked back and I realized that we had a contractor lined up and a bank lined up from before the time that we had even had this building under contract. And what, what we thought was a waste of time, God redeemed so that we were well able to start the process of retrofitting this space for this church. God is the God of perfect timing. And he will not waste a moment of your life. When you're surrendered to him. This is the last thing I want you to write down in your notes. God does not waste a moment of your life when you commit your life to his service. What I'm trying to tell you is surrender. And no one will stop you. 